You know, I'm constantly finding that people lose ground, right? They, the, it's one thing to be present. It's another thing to have, especially for men, to have grounded presence, right? And so our daily lives are so active and our emotional bodies are so activated. It's very easy for us to keep, you know, to move up in our energy. And I'm constantly trying to remind people and come up with exercises that let people reconnect to the earth, pulse of the earth, and uh, and just to ground ground themselves. If we had 10 minutes, I would go a lot deeper into into it. It becomes quite a an activating heart opener. But yeah. um, but that's just the, the preview version. I'm Ben Joseph Stewart. I'm Mark Grove. I'm James Goodlatte. I'm Kyle Kingsbury. Hi, this is Kimberly Ann Johnson, and you're listening to the Holistic OBGYN Podcast. Hey, everybody. It's Nathan here. Welcome to the podcast, the Holistic OBGYN. I try to present on this podcast tools and insights and uh, really sort of a sense of empowerment around reclaiming your health as a primary means of disrupting the medical industrial complex as we know it, which, you know, personally, I think is is grown too big for its britches. Uh, Certainly it has its uses, but I think that we all sort of owe it to ourselves as an act of self-love, the ultimate act of self-love to reclaim our health, especially when it comes to building a family, having babies, recovering postpartum, connecting with our partner, and trying to get our health back on course through the lens of salutogenesis, meaning providing the resources to your body, to your mind, to your spirit, in order for you to better harmonize with your surroundings. My guest today is John Wineland. He's the author of From the Core. He leads some of the more popular men's groups, and uh, he has a hell of a story. So we're gonna we're going to talk to John today around sacred polarities, the divine masculine, the divine feminine, how can a man show up in the world, whether he's um, hoping to conceive a child with his partner, or he's hoping to better connect to himself or to love his partner. I mean, this is a really, really big part of what I do in my practice, believe it or not. I sometimes kind of feel more like a therapist than I do a doctor. And that's because most of our physical ailments arise from our nervous system, from our emotional well-being, from our stress management systems. And um, friends of mine, Mimi Lindquist and Chase Ramey of the Medicine Podcast gifted me his book. And as soon as I read it, it was like straight back to David Data's work, who actually was a mentor of John. And um, in embracing my own masculinity, these specific individuals uh, have have really, really provided me not just tools, but also the language to express myself in either contemplative meditation or in direct communication with my wife, with my little girls, with my mom, with my sister, with my friends and clients. So you're going to love this episode with John. There are a couple ways to support the podcast, and one is to support our sponsors. These four companies that have uh, made this show possible are um, 
companies that I'm very, very much in alignment. I wouldn't have brought them on. I don't take just any sponsor. I actually reach out and seek out companies that are doing exactly uh, the right things in the world. And BirthFit is is certainly um, one of those companies. BirthFit is a company that provides pregnancy and postpartum specific lifestyle programming um, through the lens of nervous system supported strength and conditioning. If you go to their website and check out what they do, Lindsay Cantu and her team, Lindsay's a, uh, a doctor of um, chiropractics. She and her team have trained BirthFit um, coaching professionals around the country and maybe even the world at this point in order to provide personalized care to women who are in this reproductive sort of space, whether it's preconception, in pregnancy, um, around the time of childbirth or postpartum, you're not gonna get that from many personal trainers out there. So birthfit.com is where you can find them. If you use code BELOVED, you can. Um, there's a couple options. You can either join their B community, um, which is otherwise $24.99 a month and meet a lot of other people in your the same uh, stage of life that you're in You'll get to see incredible webinars from experts around the world on a monthly basis. It is just an awesome community. You can also um, enroll in their postpartum basics program for 20% off. Again, code is BELOVED. And uh, that provides you a day-by-day overview and, and specifics on a daily basis as to what you can do after you have a baby to get your, to reclaim your health, reclaim your mobility, um, to to lie in for a period to let your nervous system, your immune system, your endocrine system sort of reestablish themselves before you start hitting the gym hard. It includes breath work. It includes mobility. It includes some strength and conditioning. But the way that they do it is just so gradually. I just think it's so beautiful. And then lastly, they have a fall cohort for their um, BirthFit coaching certification program, which I have completed, and I was just flabbergasted by how good it is. All of that can be found at birthfit.com. They're enrolling for their fall cohort if you want to become a BirthFit coaching professional, and I highly recommend that you do if you work with women and you're giving any sort of um, physical exercise, uh, nervous system advice. This is definitely the program for you. You'll get $400 off if you use code BELOVED for their their, um, fall coaching cohort. Birthfit.com. Thank you, Lindsay, for supporting the show. really is an honor. Organifi is also um, a part of, gosh, this cadre of, of great companies that keeps me going here. Drew Canole is a friend of mine. He and his partner are expecting a baby. I'm going to be out in San Diego helping them with their birth. And he and I have gotten to be good friends through, uh, through his products, actually. I found his products before I even met him through a, um, a person who happened to be a sales rep at Organifi who lived in the same apartment complex as me when we, my wife and I were living in San Diego. And I started with their green juice, and then I adopted their red juice for the afternoons, and then I started drinking their gold lattes. They call this their sunrise kit, sun, or sun, sunrise to sunset kit, and um, I think it's, I just think their products are so great, but it's more even just than how I feel taking them, like I know I'm well nourished. They're also all non-GMO ingredients, all gluten-free products. Their products are, are their ingredients are all glyphosate-free, um, dairy-free, these are as clean as can be. So whether you're new into this game or you're well-experienced, Organifi is worthwhile uh, to check out. They're also offering 30 single-serving packets of their Pure, which provides mental clarity, improved cognition, etc. with your purchase of their Sunrise to Sunset Kit. Go to Organifi.com beloved, and you can take advantage of that offer right now. Next up, there's only two more guys, Bioptimizers. Bioptimizers makes some awesome products, and one product that I have 
really fallen a lot in love with um, is their mass times. You can maybe hear some thunder on my end. It's thundering and storming here in Louisville as I'm recording this. So I was just on the Be Here Farm in Nature Hell's Canyon, uh, a nature immersive retreat as a facilitator. And on their sort of self-care table, they had mass signs, they had P3OM, and they had HCL breakthrough, all three of which I think are almost a necessary part of most people's regimens. If you haven't had a stool analysis, of course I do that stuff, but if, you have a stool, if, if you've had a stool analysis and or if you have any sort of GI symptoms, like you don't feel like you digest certain foods well, you may need to add a little bit of protein and fats uh, metabolizing enzymes, which comes in their Mathzymes product. Also, if you get reflux, their HCL breakthrough adds acid to your stomach, which sounds counterintuitive, but that's actually what you should be doing if you get heartburn or reflux, or if you've been diagnosed with something called GERD, gastroesophageal reflux disease. And then lastly, their P3OM is a, is a really great uh, probiotic with a variety of species. I don't recommend starting any probiotic. I would recommend having a stool analysis before you start any probiotic. But for the everyday traveler, the weary traveler, if you get traveler's diarrhea or something, my wife and I travel quite a bit, including Mexico and beyond. And um, P3O and Masszymes and HCL Breakthrough are where it's at. So if you want to try out these products, I highly recommend you do. You can go to bioptimizers.com slash holistic OBGYN. And if you're coming to my conference in August, the Twins and Breach Conference with Stu Fishby, Milo Chavira, Betty Ann Davis, Rick Safries, David Hayes, and Denny Hartung, you're going to get to sample a lot of these products, including Organifi, um, at, the, at the event. So um, I will be talking a little bit more about it there, but these are companies that I love so much that I'm just absolutely willing to continue to promote them um, because they do good work. And then last but not least, Rosemary Marin. She has a company called Soul Connections. She does one-on-one -on -one sessions, both virtually or in person, that support deep transformation and bonding between mothers and their unborn babies. And it's not just that mom who's at seven months and wants to connect deeply with her baby. That's a really great, really, really great. Um, uh, that's a very, very great reason to seek out Rosemary. But also, if you've experienced pregnancy loss, if you have um, experienced recurrent miscarriages, if you have a baby that's persistently in the breech position. Go to Rosemary. She can help you connect with the soul of your baby. Sounds crazy, right? She can do it. She can do this. And you can do this. Sometimes it requires a little bit of transpersonal and interpersonal hypnotherapy, some soul integration. Um, and under the care of Rosemary, you can also be assured that she's a doula. She's a trained doula. She has years of clinical experience. And um, she'd love to be able to help you out. So go to rosemarymarin.com. Rosemary is R-O-S-E-M-A-R-Y, last name M-E-R-A-N.com. Schedule a session. You are not going to regret working with, with Rosemary through her program, Soul Connections. All right. Without further ado, guys, um, here's my conversation with John Wineland. Please support the sponsors. They really, really do help me continue to produce, I think, one of the best uh, women's health-related podcasts on the planet. And we're not going anywhere. We're going to continue to pump out great products or <laughs> great uh, episodes, but uh, we, we do um, very much rely on these, these brands to, to keep the, uh, the, the wheels turning over here. You can also leave us a review on, on uh, Apple Podcasts you can share these episodes with your friend. And we do have a YouTube channel. Most of the episodes, apart from those that are related to COVID or other, you know, for whatever reason, controversial topics, they will all be up there on YouTube in video format. 
And with the rare exception, we may be popping some onto like Ramble and some of these other less censored platforms. But go to go to YouTube, subscribe. You get to see me and John riffing it for a couple hours. All right. My man, John Wineland, author of From the Core, men's group, um, ex- leader extraordinaire. Hope you enjoyed this one, guys. I sure did. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Nathan. Happy to be here. You have been on the podcast circuit. You've got this great book. And, um, and, and if anybody out there is looking for a really, really great extension of your work um, as, a, as a man, somebody who embraces their masculinity, let's just say, because uh, there's David Data's work. I know you were a student of David Data. There's all these other great books out there. From the Core kind of seems to be it's sort of like amalgamates all of these really tough concepts so that even somebody as dumb as me can just like really lean in and you have a number of exercises through there. Um, I'd love for you, John, to kind of kick this, uh, this, this conversation off with just a little, maybe an embodiment exercise, something to help people kind of ground themselves into a space where they can be a little open-minded, open-hearted, if you would. Yeah. Yeah. You got it. Um, well, this is one that's not in the book, but it's one of my favorites. And it is a grounding breath. So what I would do is invite everybody listening to, you know, wherever they're sitting, whether it's on a chair or on a cushion, um, to press down through their side ribs, through their hips and into the earth and become aware of what I like to call this diamond at the base of your body, which is the pubic bone in front, the sacrum and back and then the edges of the hip bones. And you plug that diamond into the earth and it becomes almost like this mouth or this lock to the earth. Um, you can also press down through the root of your heart, through those muscles around the spine and down through the groin into the earth. And the breath that we're gonna do, I'm just gonna do it for about a minute. <laughs> and it's a little bit active, but it's really activating. And that breath is to breathe into the pelvic floor, which is you could think of like the bottom of a balloon. And as you inhale into the pelvic floor, you imagine your pelvic floor dropping just a few inches beneath the earth. So you start to touch the earth. And when you exhale, you gently pull that pelvic floor up. So it becomes a bit of, it's going to be a continuous breath, meaning you don't stop in between the breaths. And you just really practice rather than breathing and letting the energy take you up, you breathe down into the earth. So the breath is is what I would call a grounding breath. So ready and we'll begin. You can continue breathing, continue that breath and become really aware of breathing into the back of your pelvic floor, just below your sacrum and to the sides of your pelvic floor to each side of your hips and really imagine that your pelvic floor is sinking more and more deeper and deeper into the earth. 
And as you continue, you'll start to feel your body drop down into almost like you're partially in earth coming out. The upper part of your body is coming out of the earth. The lower part of your body is literally planted in the earth. And let's just go for another 30 seconds. Ten more seconds. Feel your groin and your lower abdomen getting wider and wider, deeper and deeper. And then five more breaths. And on the final breath, you're going to exhale everything out and hold it. And in three, two, one, deep exhale out and just hold it. Press it down through your side ribs. Press down through the core of your heart. Shoulders drop. Is really focus on earth, rock, feel the, maybe you feel the magnetic pulse of the earth, holding it for another 10 seconds, and then in three, two, one, big inhale in, really Kind of push that inhale down into your groin, bringing lots of blood to your abdomen, to your womb, to your genitals. Really focusing on that area, lower hips, root chakra. And then in five, four, three, two, one very slow exhale out. <laughs> we practice to do before sex, by the way. I think I can tell why. <laughs> what is the, uh, why did you select that exercise? What do you hope um, that people will connect with there? You know, I'm constantly finding that people lose ground, right? They, the, it's one thing to be present. It's another thing to have, especially for men, to have grounded presence, right? And so our daily lives are so active and our emotional bodies are so activated. It's very easy for us to keep, you know, to move up in our energy. And I'm constantly trying to remind people and come up with exercises that let people reconnect to the earth, pulse of the earth, and, uh, and just to ground, ground themselves. If we had 10 minutes, I would go a lot deeper into, into it. It becomes quite a, an activating heart opener, but, yeah. um, but that was just the, the preview version. That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. I felt that. I mean, it, it's even, even the act of breathing alone seems like disobedient nowadays like you allow, actually allow yourself 10 minutes just to breathe and feel all of that you know it's um it's important so 
So thank you. I, I think being grounded for this conversation for a lot of, uh, especially, you know, those who identify as men, let's just use the general term. By the way, everybody, yeah. we're going to be using man, woman, we're going to be using male, female. This conversation is for everybody. We're going to be talking a lot about the divine masculine, the divine feminine in my language. I'm sure you'll have your own spin on that. Um, yeah. And how we as men, who maybe are masculine energy dominant, are showing up in the in the world, in relationships, at birth. So, um, John, I've already given the title of your book, but I didn't even tell people your last name. John Wineland is here. And I want to know, John, this book from the core is excellent, but I want to know, how did you, what, what was the elevator speech to the publisher, just for people to understand what, what this book is for? Like, why do we need mm. this book? Yeah, I, I think the the way that I I um, I pitched it was that I, having done men's work for close to 20 years now and working with thousands of men, what I've discovered is that men want to step up in their lives. They want to step up in their partnerships. They want to step up in the world. But what they lack is, you know, some concrete ways to do that, to touch the essence of their, you know, what I would call their masculine core, to live there more often. And so, and so this was really presented as a an amalgamum of practices and theories that I've developed over the course of 20 years to teach men how to begin to uh, cultivate more presence, more depth, to live from that depth, and uh, and then to to ultimately give it as a gift to their partners in the world. Sorry, I had myself muted there. I didn't want to my crinkly vaporizer bag to disrupt you. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you you told me before. If can I share your age? Would that be okay? Just tell everybody. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Fifty-seven. Did I get? Do I remember that right? Yeah. 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 So having done this for twenty years, that doesn't mean you've been teaching it for twenty years. And so that means right. that you actually had a maybe a decade or more to really kind of lean into what this meant to you. Why is this important? Before you were able to offer yourself mm -hmm. as a teacher to others. So, how yeah. what was seventeen-year-old John Wineland like? I'm <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> me too, man. Yeah. 27-year-old John Wyman was a mess. 37-year-old yeah. uh, John Wyman was a mess. You know, um, yeah. Uh, you know, I grew up in a in a pretty chaotic household, you know, coming from a family of, of hard-drinking Irish alcoholics and hippies. And, and so, you know, my teens were pretty... Um, I was raised by all women. You know, my father split when I was young. My grandfather's died when I was young. So it was really, I really was raised in, you know, just a cauldron of feminine energy. Great. I mean, beautiful mother, beautiful grandmother, um, lots mm. of, you know, uh, four sisters, two, a sister, a half sister, two stepsisters. You know, I was, I was, I was definitely raised in the feminine energy growing up in the seventies and eighties. And so I didn't really have any skill set, And I think this is true for a lot of men. Yeah. And nobody taught me how to be a man, so to speak. Like nobody taught me the the sacred principles of the masculine. And it wasn't until I was in my mid thirties that I had, you know, I was married, I had a child, I was, you know, making decent money, taking care of my family, you know, strong in my community, picket, you know, white picket fence in Westwood, that I realized like, wow, I, I don't know, you know, how to both um, I don't, I don't know how to both direct myself, 
let alone direct a marriage or a, a relationship. And and that's what led me into the field that I've you know I've been in you know for the last twenty years I guess teaching for about ten, practicing for about ten before that. Yeah. And so I I mean I I sort of let's see you're fifty seven so you know you brought up in the book that we did have some free love movements we had some movements you know I, I'm thinking the sixties and seventies we had you know the original Woodstock these are very very much uh, men perhaps you could see it as leaning into. Um, their feminine side, right? Being a little bit mm-hmm. less harsh, more mm-hmm. more open. You also yeah. brought up in the book, though, that, that fizzled out. So we still have this remaining kind of, um, I'll actually read just a, a line right from your, your book here. Um, why hasn't this way of being already evolved? The short answer is that most of the world is still attempting to free itself from the grip of the patriarchal and far too often toxic values of conquest and domination. Mm-hmm. So... I would say that we're, on one hand, you know, we're very polarized. There's a lot of us, people like me and you, and a lot of the many men in my life who've actually introduced me to your work. I'll give a shout out to Chase Ramey and Mimi Linquist in the Medicine Podcast. Not only an amazing podcast, but they also interviewed you, and it was an amazing interview, and they sent me a copy of your book because they were like, this is just so good. You need to read it. And so um, I do think that there are men that are kind of starting to lean into this, especially as you see the advents and the spreading of men's groups like the ones that you're leading. A number of my friends have been to your, to, you know, have worked with you. Mark Groves is another person who introduced Mm us. Um, Yeah. But on the other hand, I'm seeing more conquest and domination in a slightly different light than we did in the, you know, a hundred years ago. Yeah. So how do we how do we how do we meet that? I mean, we are we are really suffering with this patriarchal hierarchical way of showing up in the world, and I think a lot of men yeah. are, are kind of they probably feel very trapped there. So let's start there, yeah. and then we'll get into the work. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, the point I make in the book is that the new masculine paradigm that I think the world is wanting, and in my opinion, needing is the paradigm of a shift from conquest and domination is the predominant masculine values and north stars right more money more material wealth you know more countries i mean you could you know if we go back 500 years you could see it you know, yeah tends absolutely to follow the pa- the papal um the patriarchy and the church are, are are deeply aligned um so we're trying to move from that to what i would call a, a paradigm of liberation like that the, the masculine um, gift is to liberate love and consciousness moment by moment, human by human. First, of course, in ourselves, right? How do we liberate more love in ourselves? Yeah. How do we how do we tether ourselves to consciousness more fully? And that is a, you know, that's a day by day, moment by moment practice. You know, we started with a breath practice, and I was just on a coaching call earlier where I was I was helping you know, a client of mine, create a structure that included three breath practices per day, right? You know, one in the morning, one midday, you know, because breath is the key, right? Breath is the key to presence. Breath is the key to nervous system down regulation. Breath is the key, the key from taking us out of our sympathetic nervous system into our parasympathetic, Mm -hmm. where we're just, we have access to intuition and all kinds of other wisdoms. So, I think that the, the the conquest and domination paradigm that we've lived with, you know, it's still, of course, it's still around. I mean, you see it all over the world, but there is, and of course, great change always starts on the fringes. 
on the fringes in communities now, there's beginning to be this idea that new currencies like presence, like depth, uh, like integrity, like uh, vulnerability, um, like play, mm. you know, mm. playfulness, like, um, you know, that they're, they're, these currencies are more valuable in relationship and what we're, where we are in the world now is that, or at least in, in, in the kind of world we live in, which is a pretty privileged world, let's yeah. face it, not all the world has this freedom, but in much of the Western world, we're at a place where relationships are no longer needed. We don't need each other the way yeah. we have hundreds of thousands of years to protect each other, to bear children for each other. Um, you know, this is relatively new. It's a pretty amazing moment in history, in the history of relationship. So what that leaves us is what makes me a valuable partner? What makes me a valuable man or a valuable woman or valuable human on, on any level in your in your intimate relationship or in your community or yeah. the world at large yeah yeah and and the skill sets that actually make us more valuable and i'll speak predominantly to men is the skill sets that make us more valuable are skill sets that we weren't taught are valuable <laughs> uh, you know um presence i mean i, I you know i i you probably on a, you know, one hand count the number of men that were taught presence as a young boy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, like what does it mean to be present, present or breath or groundedness or, you know, the capacity for stillness, which yeah. is a great, you know, attribute of masculine, of the divine masculine is, is stillness. And, um, and so here we are, you know, at this place where I see men trying to answer this question of what would make me valuable? You know, my mm -hmm. feminine partner doesn't even need me for birth. Really doesn't need me to raise a child. Yeah. Doesn't need me to make money for her. I mean, now, you know, there are a lot of women that are also coming out of, you know, uh, the sixties and seventies, you know, called for women to get more in touch with their masculine and men to get more in touch with their feminine. And that was great. But it also went a bit too far, right? And so the pendulum is now swinging back where women are realizing like, wow, I don't want to die of a heart attack at 60. I don't want to be just a boss babe. I don't want to be, you know what I mean? I don't want to live that kind of hard driving corporate life that, you know, entrepreneurial life that, you know, men have lived in the you know, last century. And so now we're getting to choose how we want to present ourselves in the realm of relationship. And I think there's this new paradigm of relationship also emerging, but uh, men have their work to meet that. And that's that's where I committed. Yeah. 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 Yeah, the word productivity comes to mind, right? So I'm a doctor. I went through 14 yeah. years of education and training and all this other stuff. And it wasn't until I had my first daughter. Uh, we have a three-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old right now. My first daughter came into the world and um, I realized that productivity no longer means much to me. Uh, it's not a matter of scheduling time in for my little girl. She actually needs me to be present. So my entire yeah. currency as a man had to shift. And that is scary yeah. stuff, John. It's like, yeah. how can I be present when I'm worried about all these things? And I've been incentivized to worry about all of those things for my entire life. Exactly. I need to be bigger and stronger. I need to be faster. I need yeah. to be rich. I need to be whatever. Yep. So that conditioning is so deep. 
And, you know, I think one thing that came out of the 60s and 70s that I probably got this from your book, but it's it's been about a year since I actually went deep. I have some dog tags here and highlighters and all this stuff. But I remember, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, if, if I recall correctly, there was sort of a development of the, what we would maybe see as like the, 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 the man who, who um, identifies as a feminist. It was this sort of notion that to be softer, to be more nurturing, to give up all of that other stuff that you'd been taught about being strong mm-hmm. in this and that. But I actually think that that was also the wrong path. And maybe that's why it sort of yeah. seemed to fizzle out. Can you just speak on yeah. that? Like, what are we talking about when we talk about like an embodied man? Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't call that man a feminist. I would call that man, you know, uh, more, I'm more in touch with his feminine, more identified with his feminine. And which is, there's no problem with that. We all have the choice to identify and live more in the feminine energies of intuition, nourishment, um, uh, pleasure. Um, you know, there's just a, love like all of those things are 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 feminine attributes that every human possesses and should nurture yeah right and we get to choose do we want to live do we identify more with that or do we identify more with um attributes like presence um infinite stillness groundedness calmness i mean those kinds of things tend to be more masculine attributes. And I use the, I use this spectrum in the book where I talk about, think of the natural world. And on the uber masculine side, you've got a black hole, which is heavy and dense and absolutely still than a mountain, then a tree. And then as you move along the spectrum, you start to move from an oak tree to a bamboo tree, mm. you know, to, you know, up to a flower, to the wind, to starlight, right? And, and in the natural world, there is this spectrum of masculine and feminine, and it also yeah. is mirrored in every human. Now, some of us prefer to live in the on that side of the spectrum that is just much more, let's call it, given experience, right? And some of us like to live in a world that is disconnected from experience, not not inexperienced, but but more like witnessing experience. That is what I would call the sacred masculine. Now, each of us has to, in my opinion, in order to become whole, has to integrate those two aspects, right? I mean, right. this is not new, you know, the therapists have been talking about this for a hundred and something years, but this idea of what it does mean in an embodied way to be able to work both sides of that spectrum and show up in both sides of that spectrum. And a big part of the book is, is how a man can cultivate the attributes of the sacred masculine of the your core masculine and then integrate you know your feminine attributes so that you could be both highly aware and deeply sensitive and that that's the integrated masculine that we're looking for versus what has been what men have been drifting into over the last say 30 40 years is more and more sensitive and i'm not talking emotionally sensitive i'm talking just more feeling more you know more flow more it's all and there's nothing again there's nothing wrong with that but what if you ask women (laughs) what they tend to want is yes we love that with structure we love that with ground 
Mm. We love that with depth, right? Not just that, but we want depth holding feeling. We want awareness, you know, in service of sensitivity and feeling. Yeah. And so a big part of the book is, is, is that journey, what I see that journey to be for men. So when, when I, when we look back to the sixties and seventies and, and, and the reason that I applied the word feminism to that, this new, um, I guess kind of was kind of new age. Cause that's really where the new age movement came out of, but this new found feminist way of being a man, I, I'm using that only because I'm trying to put myself in, in a place where this guy was raised by a dad and a, a, a father, a father and a grandfather, grandfather probably fought in like world war one. This guy's showing up at Woodstock. He's, he's, you know, embracing maybe a, a softer side of himself that he never saw modeled. And that app happened to be in alignment historically and chronologically with some of these new waves of feminism, which like you yeah. already described. Um, so with regards to what you just said, a, a man coming through that experience and trying to show up in the world in that way, perhaps it kind of, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it kind of shifted him along that masculine feminine spectrum too far to one side without realizing yeah. they're not mutually exclusive. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and and in you got to think the '60s and '70s were reactionary to the '40s and '50s, right? Absolutely, and and to you know, so so in a way, men were trying to free themselves from the grip of corporate America, and you know, and funny, it came back in the '80s and '90s, but um, but they were trying to free themselves from the grip of productivity, of production, of domination. I mean, the '60s were in response to Vietnam in many ways, yeah. right? Of to to you know. So we've been trying to navigate what it means to break free of the patriarchal values and ways of being for 50 some odd years, 50, 60 years. Yeah, and right. now we're really trying to come to some kind of equilibrium where it, where the new, uh, a friend of mine, Kendra Kunoff, she speaks about this beautifully. She says, the new wave of feminism will celebrate the feminine, right? And so... So where I think men have found is yes, they, I think they've been overly, they've kind of drifted into the the uber feminine realms, and the way that I would describe that is that so in the framework that I used, which is a which is based on you know a Buddhist tantric meditative framework, is that everything that is experienced, everything that is experienced is the feminine. Right, so feeling this conversation, life, love, nature. I mean, everything that's moving, everything that is experience itself is the feminine. Everything that is witnessing experience, everything that's aware of experience, is our masculine. And so, our our you know, experience can't happen without the awareness field through which the experience emerges, if that makes sense. I, I, I don't want to get too esoteric here, but, but the idea is you. that- I'm with you. Yeah. Keep yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. With, without, without awareness, without awareness, um, we get lost in experience. And that's where I see men struggling today. Even men who are doing so-called masculine things like warring or sports or pounding their chests or being warriors or whatever it is, yeah. they're so inexperienced that they've lost that tether to the field of awareness that is infinite and still. 
Hmm. And so a masculine, masculinity, I argue, is the transmission of that infinite still depth through the body. And that awareness beautifully counteracts experience. Mm. If we're all experienced and no awareness, we just go with the experience, whether it's a fight or whether it's sex or whether it's chasing money or whatever, whether it's an ayahuasca journey. You know I mean, I, oh, yeah. we get so in experience that we lose a tether to that which is beyond experience. And so good mas masculine spiritual development is the development of a connection to that which is beyond experience, behind experience, aware of experience, but not the experience itself. Does that make sense? The part of us, the part Absolutely. of you and me that's aware we're having a conversation. There's a part of us that, like we're talking, we're having a great conversation. There's a part of us that realizes that we're aware we're having this conversation. Yeah. There's an even deeper part of us that's aware we're aware. So yes, yeah, I, absolutely. I, there's two little tidbits I want to add to that to give some yeah. a little additional, maybe something that if somebody is a little bit confused, um, uh, uh, somebody that you and I were just chatting about fondly, Paul Check, he has this model of God. God had to create us in order to to like relate to itself because if if God yeah. is everything, then yeah. there needs to be something to look at. There needs to be this this polarity, and that self awareness is actually a a, a um, a quality of divinity. Furthermore, yeah. Rudolf Steiner's work with anthroposophy, a big part yeah. of my, my, I'm studying anthroposophic medicine, which is a completely different wow. paradigm on how to yeah, view the- My daughter went to Waldorf, so- There I, you go. I know that. Yeah, definitely yeah, yeah. a totally different way of looking at things. Um, yeah. Not better or worse. I, I mean, I would argue it's maybe better given the current state of, of affairs in our world, but if you were to just have experience- that's what a Labrador does. They're experiencing, but they're not reflecting yeah. inward on that experience. That is actually right. the awareness of being a, a self-aware is the human quality. But I think a lot of men are missing that because we're just stuck in this. It's like a running on addicted wheel. to experience. Addicted, we're addicted to, experience. to experience. Yeah. 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 Women too. I mean, I often, I mean, basically we're moving this way as humans. And so the sacred masculine is the part of us that is aware that can be fully inexperienced, like fully in love, fully in pleasure, fully in sensitivity. You can feel your daughter. Mm. You can feel her move through the room. You can feel the beauty of holding her without losing the tether to that which is beyond, that that through which the experience is emerging, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah. And 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 that kind of tether is what I believe is missing in most meditative and, and meditative, I mean, not, you know, lots of meditation talks about this stuff, but let's, let's back up a second just yeah. to give, to round out the divine. So if we think of the divine, um, and again, this is my Buddhism talking. So the divine, the mystic law. Your Buddhism is showing by the way, John. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So the, the mystic law is both late, has a latent aspect, like a, a a part of it that is asleep and deep and infinite and nothing. And it also has an act, uh, you know, a manifest aspect. And you could call that the masculine and feminine. You could call that yin and yang. You could call that, um, you know, if you, if you drill down to, uh, to, to, um, to an atom, 
there's basically empty space and energy. Mm. All aspects of the universe are made up of this polarity that we're talking about, this divine polarity. And so part of what I see men struggling to do is to A, touch that, find it, touch it. And then the trip, really tricky part is how do I, how do I give that as an embodied gift? And that's a big piece of the work that I do. How can my presence or my, when I say presence, I'm aware that I'm conscious and you can feel it in my body. Mm. That's a way to look at presence. I'm aware that I am consciousness and you can feel that consciousness through my eyes, through my breath, through my connection to awareness. And the more that we live in that space, and here's where I'll try to get into the practical world. Yeah. Steve. The more we are in touch with that, the more the people around us, their nervous systems relax. Mm. Right? If we're in experience and our feminine partners are in experience, it's it there's just so much energy. There's no yeah. ground to the wire. And but if we're tethered to something infinite and expansive and it's getting pressed through our body, that is the masculine polarity. And it, it has a very nourishing, relaxing, and I've seen this in workshop after workshop, couple after couple, it has just an absolutely grounding and healing um, uh, attribute to it that, that really is good. If we're talking talk about birth at some point, it's really good for relaxing the nervous system in anybody, but in particularly feminine beings. Amen. I mean, the depth of what you're describing, I mean, this is really your book from the core. Like this is some really, really challenging, this is challenging stuff. And and I, I kind of want to, I kind of want to ask you about this sort of wave of polyamory and whatnot that's happening. What you're talking okay. about is so um, critically needed. It's almost like a crisis for men, for many men right mm. now. Um, especially men who have who've made it. They've got the job, they've got the car, they've got the money, but they're struggling with connection. And it's because yeah, they've been, yeah, I mean, th that's why people are, yeah, yeah. Are, are seeking your workout. And um, and I find myself counseling people around this all the time. And we are going to get into fertility and birth next because I think actually this is a great opportunity for men whenever you're going through the childbirth experience to really start kind of dialing in this, mm -hmm. this awareness yeah. and this vulnerability and, Whatever, but with this wave of, of polyamory, you know, Mark Gaffney's work comes comes to mind, the erotic and the holy, these sort of levels of eros, this um, the hard work that comes in relationships before you go and try to find that next exciting lay. What about the relationship right now? Are you going to end up back there if you just keep going and finding that level one sort of fun time? And I think, you know, there's Chris Ryan makes an argument on one hand that like, hey, we're meant to be polyamorous. I don't know if I agree or disagree. I could see how some people right. may resonate with that. On the other hand, you've got right. Jamie Wheel describing, you know, this this notion that, that you know, I, I'm meant to be with four different people at the same time as uh, he distilled it as, you know, lizard brain fuck monkey sort of behavior. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. so we have this, again, here's another polarity what is your take on, on, you know, if somebody's going to, let's just ask it like this. If somebody wants to embark on a journey to an open marriage or an open relationship and they haven't yet dialed in who they are and how they show up in the world, 
Um, how are they supposed to be managing multiple relationships when we're struggling with presence in and of itself, sitting and breathing for 10 minutes, for God's sake? Yeah, yeah. If you can't get one feminine partner to trust you, how are you going to get two or three? Well put. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, and so, look, I, I'm not here to tell anybody that they should or shouldn't practice whatever they want, because I do think that dating multiple, like to, there, there's two sides of this. One is, is to shed the shackles of domestication that are yeah. very present and have been the pressures of let's call it church domination for you know thousands of years right this this idea of domestication and consumption mm. and there is something really powerful in exploration of that i yeah. think for men and for women too yeah. just for all of us right and is that the that might be at one stage of a person's life the deepest practice at some point in a person's life, and this was certainly my experience, at some point in a person's life, the deepest experience is how do I love one person mm. really well? Mm. How do I love one person to the point where their nervous system is healed, their body is open, they're fully expressed sexually, they feel safe as fuck in the world, they're just, they're, they're just really, they are healed by my love, so to speak. Mm. That might be a lofty goal, but it's not, doesn't mean that we shouldn't consider it. It shouldn't be, you know, the bar that we set. And, and I do think that sometimes, sometimes that, that is the deepest practice. And so, you know, everybody's at different stages of their lives. Um, you know, I happen to think that most often people who are practicing polyamory, as I see it, are addicted to experience. <laughs> you know? and so yeah. and, yeah, same thing with people doing you know and jamie makes this point in his book same thing about people who you know are off doing medicine all the time right you know what yeah. i mean that they get it like fire experience yeah yeah yeah, yeah. they get yeah. they get addicted to experience and, and not that there's anything wrong with either one of those things polyamory or med doing medicine but but i think that we have to really be aware of you know, is this the deepest expression of my core self now? You know, and, that's a really powerful question to ask yourself every yeah. time you have a big decision coming out. Yeah, yeah, for including having a baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is this that you know we we tend to think of you know, and of course women have a different experience than men because they have all these hormones driving you know their emotional bodies around this stuff, but. But is this the deepest expression of who I am? Mm. And I think that that is a, um, you know, when parents or when two people come together and they can both legitimately answer that, like, yes, bringing a life into this complicated world is the deepest expression of love and consciousness. Mm. That's something to consider. Yeah. Well, let's get into conception because... Conscious conception is a really big topic for a number of people. I know you know Luke's stories, also a, a buddy of mine. Um, yeah, there are you know whatever. Yeah, great great people that are very very thoughtful. I mean, these are this is my circle, and there are still some very abstract concepts out there. You know, we've been deeply conditioned to believe that a bunch of sperm go into the vagina, find their way up near the fallopian tube, enter and find an egg sitting there in the dark, and then a baby comes out nine and a half months later. Yeah, that's. That's one way to describe it. On the other hand, 
on the other hand, this this notion of conscious conception, really a, a part of that, the sort of uh, undercurrent of that is that there's an invitation for this journey, right, of growing a human. You know, it's a one in a hundred trillion chance you're going to be incarnated here. So that spirit of that baby, this let's perhaps the soul of that baby is may, maybe waiting to enter the womb. And yeah. if you and your partner aren't connected, and you've been on this kind of mechanical roller coaster, IVF, whatever, fertility challenges galore nowadays, how could this work? I mean, one thing. Let me let me preface this by saying one thing. I have my 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 fertility couples do is I actually have them. It's a big part of it is reconnecting. So I throw a, a curveball to them. They think they're going to do functional medicine and all this. And yeah, we do all of that stuff. They meet with a breath worker. They meet with Mike Salemi and do some kettlebell training. They do all this stuff. Great. But then I actually throw this curveball and they have to do 10 days of, of dedication to one another to be present and to be um, connecting in ways that maybe they haven't. And we start with hand rubs and foot rubs. And maybe you're just going to put some music on and dance together. Don't even have to touch. Just move your body in the same room. But then it gets to like genital massage, but no orgasm. We are just using physical, emotional, mental connection, eye gazing, all of that type of stuff. Yeah. And John, of all of the incredible tools that I have, I've got two board certifications. Um, I have been in school for most of my adult life, and I've got the the you know the medical records with adrenal fatigue to to prove it. Um, <laughs> I don't think anything helps more than that 10-day connection challenge. All right, a quick break here from my conversation with John, author of From the Core. Go pick up his book, by the way. If you're a man out there and you're wondering how to support my wife now that we've had kids or we may in the future have kids or we're struggling to get pregnant john's work is going to be critical for that and i, I want to impress upon you that i have taken a lot of john's insights um, and david data's insights and really my own exploration of masculinity which is by the way not just be tough and gruff and and stoic and all of that stoicism to me is like it's for another day. It's for some. There are certain times in your life when you should, when when being stoic is actually very relevant. But if you can be emotionally available, I always say soft belly, strong spine. The female partner, if you have a female partner, they are going to go bananas for you. And this is ex especially relevant if you want to um, build a family. I've got a, a couple of clients that are working me with, uh, you know, on their fertility journey. You know, it's the typical story: a couple failed IVFs. Um, she's doing everything in her power. He doesn't really seem to be all that connected to the process, probably because he's been modeled that this is not men's, this is not for a man to worry about. Well, at the Born Free Method, my course that I co-created with Sarah Rosser, we want to um, acknowledge that you want to be involved. We want to acknowledge that there are uh, great opportunities and responsibilities here for the men who are going into the childbirth process or even the conception process. Connecting with your partner is critical, and that's what's lacking in that in that couple that I just mentioned. If you want to check out the Born Free Method, which is the most comprehensive pregnancy and postpartum education course, um, you won't regret it. You'll be in the family for life. You get lifetime access, including any updates ever in the future. And um, you get 12 months of weekly calls with me and Sarah. You're going to have a private community of like-minded people who are just as dedicated to the task of finding wholeness in their lives, in themselves, in the relationship. 
especially because everything's going to be changing when a baby comes. So go to bornfreemethod.com, book an enrollment call. We would love to see you there. John's book is actually one of our recommended reading books, actually, which is really interesting. So uh, speaking, speaking of him, let's get back to my conversation now with John. Part of it is just being quiet and being still and being present with your partner. So let's talk about, um, I, I know that this isn't your area of expertise, but I think that what you do is so applicable. How could a couple who's, who's maybe contemplating having children, how is this work relevant right now? You've already kind of said it, but let's go a little deeper into that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I like to think of things in terms of art, right? Mm. There's a few, few points I'd love to make about conscious conception is in general, right? So the first one is coming back to the the gift of awareness, right? And the gift of awareness is often what needs to be invoked to supersede the impulse to reproduce, right? The the very strong and based and important impulse to reproduce. And so awareness asks questions of like, where is this impulse coming from? Right? Is it hmm. is it coming from like a, a very deep uh, consciousness? Is it coming from desire to love? Is it coming from a wound about our broken family? Is it coming strictly from the biological hormones that are running through a woman's body? Right? Sure. Where is the urge coming from? Um, and and really take a moment, you know, as you approach wanting to have a baby to, to, to have honest conversations about this, about why, and bring it into the light. Nothing wrong, nothing wrong with any of those things, really, any of those desires, but bringing it into the light and trying to unearth any shadows that are around there, right? You know, we've all heard stories of, you know, people having babies to fix to, it yeah. takes our focus off of the stuff we haven't fixed in our own life when a baby comes, right? Because, you know, right. baby's going to demand everything. So rather than do that, to really stop and and be aware. So when we say conscious conception, I'm talking about the act of conception from a place of deep awareness and honesty, right? Um, so I think that'd be the, the one thing I'd, I'd like to, one point I'd like to make. And the masculine gift is that awareness. So and the masculine is her, the masculine in him, yeah. right? But the masculine gift is that awareness, right? So she's having the experience. I'm just going to use a head, very heteronormative example. She's having the experience of hormonal raging desire, right? And he, his gift would be okay. Yeah, let's let's explore where this is coming from, what shadows we might have behind it, what things we haven't dealt with in our relationship or in our personal lives you know, before making this decision, not to put it off indefinitely, but just to like bring awareness to it. And, and I think, I think that that's kind of, I see that happening, you know, more and more. Um, that's the first piece. The second piece I think is that's really important is the artistic piece of conception, right? Mm. Versus the mechanical piece, right? So sexual polarity practiced, which is what data data made famous and what I'm, I'm a huge fan of is this idea that one partner lets go of their masculine 
the let's go of awareness, let's go of illness, let's go of connection to consciousness to amplify experience, pleasure, love, devotion, desire, right? And the other, a let's go of their feminine to amplify, right, their masculine. And when you bring those together, it creates this arc, this pole of energy, like two magnets that that create, that do all kinds of hormonal things, all kinds of energetic things, all opens up the heart in a very deep way. I mean, I've just seen this over and over and over again. And so making conception artful, for, for example, there could be fantasies played out about you know, fertility, there could be fertility rituals played out, right? There could be um, uh, fantasies played out. There could be all kinds of very interesting ways to work with conception that that spark this connection and tap into our ancient, the ancient desires in us to reproduce, right? Impregnation is a huge, is a sex, is sexy hmm. if we make it so. It can be so sexy if we if we if we make it so, and you know this is just my this is my experience both in my own life and then in in working with couples, but the art of doing that often gets lost in the stress, yes, which I'm sure you see all the time, yeah, of of getting pregnant, and um and so how do you find a way to maybe there's an ovulation ritual every month, and each each month there's a new ritual of, you know, I don't know, maybe you're, who knows, you know, maybe you're, you know, you reenact a druid sex ritual, or maybe you, you know I mean? There's all kinds of really cool things that we could do that would make it so much more fun and so much more sexy. And, um, you know, that, and so bringing that, bringing art, I guess is what I would say. Uh, I say in my book, you know, make sex an art bringing art into it and awareness into it and magic into it. Cause it, I mean, is there anything more magic than conception? Let me tell you something magical. <laughs> I just learned something as much as I've been studying all sorts of ways to look at conception. I just saw some videos online where the egg, when the, when the egg has a whole bunch of sperm introduced, like in the vagina, of course, but we get these, we can actually videotape it on for an IVF procedure in the, the um the the human ovum you know the egg cell mm -hmm. of a woman is actually the only human cell that you can see with the naked eye it's still tiny but it's actually this big vacuolated thing this big kind of ovum mm -hmm. circle um blob right this big sphere thing and when you introduce a bunch of sperm into the petri dish the sperm do this really funny thing they go all around the egg kind of we see it as like competition but there's that language again they're all competing right Right. I'm actually wondering if there's actually any competition at all because there's some mm. funny other things that happen. You get this this um, kind of crown, this corona of, of sperm all with their heads touching the egg cell at the same time. And then, and as far as I know, this happens everywhere in the world, the egg rotates counterclockwise. It starts rotating. So you end up with what mm. looks like a radar, like a like a, one of those, those color Doppler... Um, hurricane mm -hmm. kind of looking things like on the news yeah. there is magic happening here in front of our eyes and it's almost so like i don't want to know why it happens it's sort of like you know the the yeah. the blackjack um sort of um the magic trick you know where he you know the the dealer serves him deals himself a, a royal flush every time like it's i don't know how you did it but there's magic there 
And I actually, I, I want to go deeper into that a little bit because when you, when you speak about art, even nowadays, a lot of people don't, they don't express. And we're talking second chakra here. This is the, the yeah. root of your, yeah. your, your, your life force energy, your creative expression, and of course, reproduction. With art, even that, but a lot of people don't sing anymore. They don't, they don't dance like they used to. They don't do whatever because they're self-conscious that somebody won't like it. Mm-hmm. But if you mm-hmm. could actually approach art as just a means of expressing yourself, that is what lovemaking is. And when yeah. you're both doing yeah. that in full integrity, that's where the magic happens. That's the invitation to the baby. That's the fuck yes yeah. to the universe. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I would completely agree. And, and it doesn't have to be complicated, right? right? It could just be a few candles, some, you know, bellies pressing into each other, sitting yabyam, looking into each other's eyes, right? It could be that with her moving the wind through her body, like taking on some aspect of nature while he is the mountain. I mean, there are all kinds of ways to play with with these energies that amplify the sexual experience and therefore create deeper connection. Again, you know, hormonal changes and brain chemistry changes that are, you know, that are now measurable. And, you know, so really good connected I would say polarized sex has all kinds of attributes that we're now just discussed. We've intuited. I mean, the yogis have known this, the the mystics have known this for centuries, but we're now really just starting to prove with science. Where do you think we'd be if we didn't have any sort of Eastern mysticism? Um, if it if we hadn't adopted some elements of that in our in our you know U.S. society, yeah, we'd be fucked. I think. <laughs> I think we'd be we'd be. We'd be, you know, still very Never much, fucked. you know, I, I, I'm in the yoke of, of, you know, the, the patriarchal canon of the church and, and I look, and I, I don't want to insult any Christians or Catholics or anything, but, it, but, 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 you know, there's, there's a, there's definitely a connection between the values of patriarchy and the church. You can just go back and study papal decrees from the 15th century. And so, um, colonization enslaved slavery, um, even marriage to some degree were about property, about, you know, mm. about acquiring property. And so we're no longer wanting to adhere to that model. And, and so now we're really thinking like the, there is no property, even, even men and women who are married, this is not about property. This is about full expression, the fullest expression yeah. of love the fullest expression of love. Mm. And, and I think that is, that is where, you know, we're seeing a whole new generation, especially people in their thirties really start to take this on in conscious communities. I'm in Austin, you know I mean? I take this on in conscious communities very strongly. Yeah. Yeah. I want to, um, I want to pause and and just provide a little opportunity for you to say no, but I would love to talk about your son, daughter, her daughter, excuse me, your daughter, daughter, Claire. And, um, I want to talk about pregnancy and I want to talk about what that, a man's role in, in perhaps even opportunity in, in doing this work as they're approaching fatherhood. But would you mind sharing me with me? What is it like to lose a child? And how did you, um, what was the saving grace for you? What was this, you know, it could be a silver lining. It could also be you found yeah. this person's work. I, I just, if you want, if you are okay with sharing, I can't imagine losing yeah. one of my girls. Yeah, it's horrible, man. 
normal. Um, well, with with regards to the pregnancy aspect, um, Claire wanted to be here. You know, her mother and I barely knew each other. We were both young. We were both newly sober. I mean, it was it was a it was we'd known each other for a very short period of time. I mean, it, Claire. Claire basically was like, you guys, I'm coming in and coming I'm high. coming in. Yeah, I'm coming in. Uh, there was even a moment where we thought she was miscarrying and we went down to the river and said goodbye to her and, and, but she never, never happened. So, you know, Claire was determined to be here. So, you know, my journey in being a, a partner to a pregnant woman back then, it's nothing like what I think it would be now. Hmm. And because I was just, you know, this was 26 years ago. Parenthood, though, what I tried to do with Claire that I think really served her is I tried to give her access to the spiritual journey that I was on. Buddhism, David, um, and her, she ate it up. In fact, you know, some of her best, she, she became a world-renowned speaker. She did three TED Talks. Wow. Was, you know, teen of the Yeah, she was teen of the year. Um, she, you know, hung out with Bernie Sanders. I mean, you know, she, she was, oh. she, you know, she, there's, there's a, yeah, if you check her out on YouTube, there's a couple documentaries done about her life that have, you know, three, four or 5 million views. So she became a world renowned advocate for, uh, kids with, uh, with special needs. And, um, and I think part of, you know, my support in that was to just turn her on to these concepts about making art out of your life, about, um, about <clears throat> look about developing a relationship with death that was, you know, you know, very, you know, humble, but, but courageous. Um, and so I think, I think my, my, the saving grace piece was that Claire lived more in her 21 years than many people live in 80 right? She really lived a full, full life. And, um, and that's the thing that, that really made it, I mean, of course I wanted her, I want her to still be here, but, uh, but that's the thing that made it, made it palatable, I guess. Yeah. Um, the grief process has been, you know, um, I'm, I'm now at a place where I feel, I feel great really about it. Not great that she's dead, of course, but, but just, just, in acceptance of what her journey was like that her journey was her journey and that she's at peace and happy and literally, you know, swimming with the dolphins and floating with stardust, you know, she's, she's fine. Um, but, uh, but you know, the grief process took, I'd say two, three years to get the 80, you know, a big chunk of it out. Um, it comes back every once in a while. I just miss her so much. Um, but, but I, I, there's no regret. And I don't think if, you know, I don't think she would have any regrets either. I don't think she would do it any differently if, if she was here. I think she would, you know, maybe, but, but not much, not much. You got me a little bit, John. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm not, I'm not sorry that I'm, that I'm getting emotional and I'm actually tearing up here. I'm uh, feeling somewhat. I, I kind of regret not having known that Claire was your daughter because I know Claire. I mean, I, I know of her. I was, uh, yeah. my other board specialty, my other specialty is, um, palliative care and hospice work. And, mm -hmm. um, 
Claire's story, of course. I know, of course I know Claire. I had no idea. I never made the connections. So yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like a little bit of a blubbering fool at the moment just because I feel rattled. I remember in, in, in a, my fellowship in San Diego, I remember hearing about yeah. her and following her story and Gosh. Yeah, that's where she died. Was in San Diego. Yeah, she was. She was at UC. UCSD. UCSD. That's where I did my fellowship. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. It, there is a possibility, John, that I actually took care of her one day when I was on service. Oh, uh, we may have even wow. met. We actually may have met because I was a fellow at UCSD. Uh, wow. At that time. Wow. Um, wow. Yeah, 2018 September 2018 would have been the time. Yeah. I started fellowship 2018. I was there at September wow. at Jacobs right up in that big yeah. hospital center. We were also down in, in um, mostly in La Jolla, but also in, in uh, San Diego yeah. proper. But anyways, my heart goes yeah. out to you. Um, well, like I said, as a, a father of little girls, I, you know, I don't really know what the difference is. I have two girls. I don't know what it's like to have a little boy, but there yeah, does, <laughs> right. There does seem to be some um, special connection though I have with these little women and an mm. especially important role for me as a, as a man to really know myself and, and how and, mm. and be very clear as to how I want to show up as a father, as a person. Um, and losing one of them, I just don't know. I don't know how that is possible. I don't know if it's easier to lose a baby or a teenager or a twenty-something-year-old. I just, I just can't imagine losing a child. And I don't think people who are parent who aren't parents can maybe fully appreciate that. I certainly don't think I, I was able to. Um, yeah. Well, it's, even if you know it's coming, like you know, we knew Claire had CF, right? So we knew all her life that her life was not going to be as long as to everybody else's. So we knew that it was going to come at some point. Um, and even that, even then nothing prepares you, uh, mm -hmm. for just the bone crushing grief. And it was, it was bone crushing, uh, soul crushing. Uh, you know, I, I, I had a house in, um, I had a house in Cardiff cause that I yeah. got for her and I, cause she had just gotten a, a lung transplant. And so I rented us the house for a couple months for her to do her rehab. And then she died and I had this house. And so I was there for a few weeks, just in incredible, tried to surf. I did a few times, but, but man, yeah, it was rough. It was rough. So my, I guess my, my message to parents is, is, is to cherish you know, the, every moment you have, cause you yeah. just never know, you know, you just never know. We went into that lung transplant fully hopeful that she would come out and have a few more years, uh, you know, maybe many more years. Um, and you know, she blew a, blew a clot, pure clot. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. Well, thanks for asking that. Yeah, absolutely. John. Um, yeah, I, I didn't honestly, it was a little bit off the cuff to go that direction, but I kind of feel like the world is desperately craving authenticity and you are a very authentic person as am I. And for us to be able to chat like this is actually probably going to provide some really great um, support and healing for somebody out there. Um, I hope so. I, I don't think we, had, I don't think we attend to death any better than we attend to birth. I, I don't think we, <clears throat> we provide a lot of dignity because we see it as a failure of the medical sciences, but Claire was here for a reason. And she provided obviously so much love to so many people, which is cliche, I know, but it does bear repeating. Um, yeah. man, you, t I, I'm like in a different space now. Oh my gosh. Um, right. if you were to show up as a 50 something year old versus a 20 something year old. Yeah. Uh, hopefully I do it better as a dad. <laughs> what would you do differently and why? 
Yeah. Um, I would do, I would, I would, and we do this together. We do this together as a couple. I practice together, meaning I do breath practice together, yoga practice together, sexual yoga practice together. Um, I would, I would make, I would ritualize practiced a lot more just for her body and our connection. Uh, I would, I would be a bit of a, you know, I think this might be a challenge I'll offer to men. Like, don't let her, you know, do the breathing, do all the breathing, like mm. become better at breath than your feminine partner. That's one of the ways to keep the masculine pole. Whoever has the deepest breath tends to have the masculine pole in any moment. And a lot of men struggle with breath. So I would challenge men to really take on breath practice as part of a way to downregulate their own nervous system and as a way to, you know, to be better support. I think what I would do differently, and this is what I teach a lot of couples, is I would I would really pay a lot of attention to her nervous system. And I would use my practice, my body, you know, my breath to help downregulate her nervous system. So, and, and this goes above and beyond, you know, being a provider, being, being a protector, just being a good partner. This is, these are sort of the, those are just the antis to partnership now, but yeah. So I would really, I would really focus on nervous system downregulation. Like what can I do to downregulate her nervous system? What can I do to ground her? What can I do to use my heart to soften her heart? You know, one of the, one of the beautiful tricks of embodiment, it's not even a trick, it's a really superpower, is that we can actually evoke states from our partners. In fact, we're doing it all the time. We evoke states from our partners all the time. We're just doing it unconsciously. So when we're not present and looking at our phone and doing whatever, we're evoking a sort of anxiety from our partner. But when we're present and grounded and deep in our breath and in our lower bodies, all those things that we you know, have talked about, there some we evoke something different. Mm-hmm. And what we have the capacity to do now for each other as partners, and this is a big part of my work, is we have the capacity to evoke better states, deeper states, more grounded states, more open states, more full states of being in our partners through our body mind practice once we learn how to do that this is second book yeah so yeah yeah my second book which is you know more about couples work yeah so i think those are the things i would do differently um i would definitely do a home birth different you know do a home birth you did a hospital birth with claire did they know she- yeah we kind of had well, yeah, we kind of had to because we had to induce labor. We were planning to do a home birth, but then they the, oh. the they they saw that she had a ruptured bowel. She had uh, meconium ileus, so we had to you know we had to go in and, and induce induce labor, and then she went into surgery literally straight out of the womb. Um, wow. So, so yeah, it was quite a journey. We were we were in the hospital for the first two months of her life. We spent you know a third of Claire's life in the hospital, um, but. Um, tried to make art out of that you know in fact claire kind of became famous because she would decorate her hospital room turn her hospital rooms into these crazy art projects um there's a there's a really sweet movie by a guy named justin baldoni called six feet apart and the character the main character in that is a girl with with cf yeah and that's based on claire so claire was the 
that was the inspiration. She even consulted on the movie, and 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 so anyway, there's there's a there's a lot out there about Claire. She's more famous than I'll, I'll ever be. <laughs> yeah, and and by the way, for anybody out there who wants to find um, this information, her beautiful photos front and center, Claire'sPlaceFoundation.org. At C L A I R E S placefoundation.org. You can make a donation. You can check out the film. Justin Baldoni spoke at Endwell, which was a symposium up in, um, before COVID, they were having it every year. It was all around reimagining how we dignify people with chronic illness and life limiting conditions and ultimately how they die. Yeah. But um, I remember him presenting about her film, about the film that year. Um, I believe it was 20. Probably it was 2018 or 2019. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, when you say make art, I want to clarify this because I actually think that I always like to give people an actionable thing, but I actually think that we can put this, you know, create art, right? We're, we're, um, I don't know if you remember Neil Gaiman's commencement speech about 10 years ago to some liberal arts college. Maybe he was like an alma mater or something, but his whole message was, it doesn't matter anything else. Don't Don't worry about all the noise. Just create good art yeah and i think that's i think that's a really great way to show up when you were going through this with claire or in any in any sort of walk in your life um let's let's look at claire though i mean you gave some very you know deliberate examples like we're going to decorate in this and that we're going to maybe put some things together that make us feel good in the room when you say create good art when you're going through a really really challenging thing and this i think applies to fertility you know, couples. Maybe we can use that as an example. What yeah, yeah. what what does that mean? How if they're going to walk away and say, "Honey, I just heard this great episode. Let's make good art, <laughs> or make art, turn this experience into art." What would that look like on a on a fertility yeah. journey? Yeah. Well, you know, okay. And I don't want to pretend to tell any you know women wanting to get pregnant what how they should do it. Right? Well, and their partners. And There's also yeah, a lot of partners. listening. Yeah. 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 Um, but just to just to play with this concept, right? <clears throat> How you invite your partner into lovemaking is an art form, right? Mm. How you penetrate your partner as a masculine practitioner is an art form, right? You can penetrate with depth and stillness and breath and weight, ground, right? You can invite like uh, the way that a flower invites a bee you can um you can make making your whole body an invitation to literally his seed his life force is right because that's what semen is it's it's you know the, the chinese medicine believes that it's your it's the most important fluid in your body how do you make yourself an invitation artfully for that now could be any number of ways. Could be a dance. Could just be the way that you relax your body. It could be words. You know, it could be you know words of sweet words, or you know darker, dirtier words, or it could be any number. It's your arch. <laughs> but you know how you walk down the street could be more artful. How you um, kiss. Let's just look at that. Right. How you kiss can be artful. Or it can be unconscious. How you touch can be artful, or it can be unconscious. And so, when we talk about making art of a moment, especially a, an intimate moment, we're talking about bringing massive amounts of love and consciousness awareness. Awareness is the tool of consciousness. We're bringing 
massive amounts of love and consciousness through the body as a gift for other. And so it's not quite as complicated as many people might make it seem. Like the way that you, you know, caress the back of your lover's neck could be artful. The way that you touch them sexually could be artful, could be devotional. So that making art out of love is, you know, being an artist of love, so to speak, is a lifelong journey that, you know, I mean, thank God that's why I have a job because, you know, that, that concept is resonating with more and more people. There's a, a little piece of this fertility puzzle that not too many people talk about, and that's the role of oxytocin, which is the love hormone, the love chemical. It's a neurotransmitter and a hormone produced in the hypothalamus, released from the pituitary, and it governs over yes. so many important things from ejaculation and even really probably has some role in erection um, to mm -hmm. orgasm. And when you orgasm, this the role of oxytocin um, is, in, in part, is not only to govern over the, the ejaculation, but also the orgasm itself. And with that orgasm, the lower part of the uterus quivers and brings the sperm up towards the opening of the fallopian tubes. And mm. then this love hormone actually um, is, is what drives these surges that are bringing the baby out into the world, right? Through that, that mm. struggle with death and rebirth and the, through the lens of Stan Groff. And then it also helps to um, bring down the milk. It's a big part of the milk letdown reflex. And of course, right. it makes you addicted to this new little boy, baby that has just arrived Earthside. So this yeah. this love chemical, um, I find that if we disturb birth, I mean, it's not, I find, the neurochemistry even demonstrates that when we get in the way of that and we're not, um, we're not conscious in how we're treating somebody who's going through this incredible rite of passage, because that's exactly what it is. It's an initiation. Death is on the line, not physical, but this transformational archetypal transformation that's happening your old self dying your new self being reborn and the birth of this baby your partnership you you know the man you know if we're talking about a heteronormative relationship you the man are now transformed like everything is transforming and it's all driven by love on a neurochemical yeah. um yeah. in a neurochemical yeah. sense so i wonder when we're making, so like babies are born when we have sex, right? But when we say we're making love, as far as, as, far as I, I know, if I, if I remember correctly, um, when we are making love, um, when we're making art, we are actually creating, not just an invitation, but we are actually creating and embodying parenthood. That's the art. That's the art form. And it, it's not a matter of reading up everything that Osho told you and following the step-by-step -step instruction. It's actually just being present, being aware, and um, being vulnerable in that space. And that's where the best art comes from. And what what more incredible art project? <laughs> I don't like yeah. the word project. My wife hates that when I'm like, let's you know, this is like a good project for us having a child and she's like it's not a fucking project bro <laughs> um but she gets it i mean she is really embodied in her feminine so through this this lens this this experience that parents are going through you know i think we also end up on the other side of that and we're stressed out maybe you went on this fertility journey you were trying for years and then you were a high risk you know because you were 38 years old you were a geriatric um you know pregnant woman that's actually the word we use um Jesus. I know. 
Over over thirty five, John, you are a geriatric uh, uh, gravid patient. I can't believe more OBGYNs aren't murdered by women just <laughs> there. You know, try saying that to a thirty seven year old woman. Yeah, you got to watch your back yeah, in the in the yeah, garage yeah, at the end yeah, of the day. Yeah. Um, so when they, you know, we've embodied this, we've created this incredible thing. We've leaned into the experience. We're aware of of how we're showing up, and then we end up on the other side. We're not sleeping very well. Um, it's almost like we've depleted ourselves before the race even started, so to speak. So now you've 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 found yourself as a parent, and you're trying to reconnect intimately. But now there's this other person there. I know that you were super young when you had your first, but I I kind of think you probably have the correct apparatus, the apparatuses. I don't know if we are supposed to change these suffix like that, but you probably have all the tools. Like what? What do you foresee happening with your relationship? Yeah. And how do you how do you expect you're going to to start dancing again? Yeah. Well, the, the great I'm going to call it masculine. The great masculine, and this is true in any human, not just men, but the great masculine gift. Take the sacred masculine. Let me come at it this way: the sacred masculine loves what is without needing to change it, right? Mm -hmm. Sacred masculine loves what is without needing to change it. Right. Now, doesn't mean that you don't try to change things because people always say, well, what about murder? What about war? What about da da da? You know, the, we're talking about experiences in daily life. So let me mm -hmm. just put that little caveat there. So exhaustion, um, your partner's body being exhausted and not you know, not ready for sex yet. Um, her attention going almost exclusively to this new person and on you, you know, um, these are all things that the sacred masculine has to be a yes to, right? And so mm. I'm a yes to, that's where she is and I'm going to love her as she is and then trust biology, <laughs> That her body's going to repair, that her hormones are going to, you know, normalize, that everything is going to sort of work itself out, and and also, also I think if there's a foundation, and this is important, I think about you know making art out of your sex life before you have the baby. If there's a foundation of artful practice, I mean, wow, there's also this whole really beautiful, sexy thing about a new mother, right? I mean, there's a whole, there's a whole it's also beautiful, right? Reverence for the feminine in all of her forms, whether pregnant woman, a fertile woman, new mother, a crone, you know what I mean? Like um, it just all of her forms is part of cultivating a sacred masculine perspective in my view. And, um, and, you know, I think that's how, that's how I would approach it. Of course, I will fail, because <laughs> like anybody, and, and you know, good practice. <laughs> good practice is about failure and recommitment, right? Not failure and collapse, but failure and recommitment. And I think that all you know, so many men are trying. The thing I see in men, and I say this a lot in the book, is that men really want to love their partners well. Like there is a there is an an, an elevation of the consciousness of love that I see in men in communities that I'm part of just more and more and 
Now, granted, this is a small slice of the earth. Yeah. It's not an insignificant slice of the earth, right? That there's more and more men who want to step up and be more present, be more available. You know, everything that I teach, everything that I try to live is about being more available to love. And so breath, um, certain kinds of the body kinds of martial arts practice. I mean, all kinds of yogic practice. All of it is about making me, making men more available for love, for energy, capacity. So Mm. what I would suggest to new fathers, even though they're not sleeping, even though they're is to focus on, and this is the mistake I see, they get so caught up in working a job showing up for the newborn, showing up to support their partner, that they get completely malnourished. Mm. They get completely, they lose their capacity to love. So whatever that means, of course, schedules can be much, very tricky, but whatever that means, I think that's really important, right? Yeah. And I think she would rather have you be present however, however many hours a day you can than un- in present for more hours. Now I'm I'm speaking for women, and they might say, "Fuck you, man! Like, come here and take the babies." <laughs> Who knows? But but I, I just think that that malnourishment is a chronic issue I see in new parents, and finding ways to to be nourished takes discipline and intention and practice. But it often is the first thing to go, both for her and him, and so finding some way to be nourished in those first, you know, that first few years is, is I think crucial. And I think sex, sex and intimacy, if there's a strong foundation, will come back naturally. What say you, you said something, I want you to repeat it because it was kind of bouncing around in my noggin. What is it that's first to go? You, you said a couple qualities, just nourishment, say, nourishment, the, the, the practice of nourishment. Now, nourishment could be as simple as dance for five minutes. Mm. Nourishment could be as simple as a walk. Nourishment could be taking the baby while she goes to a women's group. Nourishment could be telling him to go sit in nature for two hours. Nourishment could be, but that's not what people do. Right. They, they're exhausted, so they collapse into watching TV or looking at their phone, and right? And they, can stay, they mistake that for the downtime down for nourishment. It's not. The masculine needs... John Gray does some really actually good work and and follows it up with biology on this. The masculine dopamine gets reset in the field of no demand, right? Which is, you know, which is, and so that's why men sat around fires and basically did, didn't say shit to each other for, you know, tens of thousands of years because they're in this space of not needing anything from each other. This is why men's groups are so powerful. So the masculine, I would say this to women that your partner needs time of no demand. Mm. And if he's not getting time with no demand, his dopamine's not getting replenished, his testosterone is not getting replenished, and and he will be malnourished and not present for you. And so you have to ask yourself the question, you know, how do I support that? How can I support just it's just a by this is a difference between whereas women, oxytocin and um Oxytocin, is it? Yeah, I think I think oxytocin gets replenished through cuddle. Yes, through yeah. breastfeeding. Yeah, 
through so yeah. so the so women are getting replenished through motherhood. That's the way nature set it up. Yeah, Ma- men are not. Yeah, men and this is a oh man, this is so important and it's so crucial and it's so edgy to say because you know women are exhausted and they're feeling like I just need him to help more, and he does not get replenished in the same way you do. He might love holding his baby and really enjoy it, but the space of no demand is the place where the masculine in men in particular gets replenished and it has to be honored. So what you have to do as a man, how do I negotiate that, be a stand for that so I can be a better father, so I can be a better partner? Do I get her extra help? Right? Do I find ways to get her extra support so I can take two hours to just sit on a rock and look at the stream? Do I or go to my men's group or take a long walk? Right? How do I make sure she's supported so I can really get a space of no demand? Your phone is not a space of no demand. <laughs> so, I I kind of went off topic there, but I think it's really important. But it but it, it does it is what I see happen a lot in men with young babies. And what happens is they end up getting resentful and then their partners feel it. And then there's, there, then there's conflict. Yeah. In my experience, I was, I don't know if I would say I was resentful, um, towards my wife at all. Actually, we, we've known each other since we were 15 and apart from a stint. And when I went to med school, we were apart and then ended up back together, you know, and you know, whatever it's that notebook kind of Nicholas Sparks story, but, uh, awesome. It was a great, yeah, it's a very, very beautiful story that we have. I actually found myself maybe, maybe not resenting, but actually distancing myself from our daughter when she was first born, because I didn't feel like I was equipped to meet her, her needs. Right. But all she really wanted was for me to bear witness to her. And we're talking like six months, you know, and I had to do some medicine and go into a very, very deep journey, like how cliche, right? But I found myself from that realizing that I wasn't willing to give a piece of myself to her. And that was really mm. the exercise. That was the work that I needed to do. Um, but that resentment, I think it. I think that that actually is what I was feeling. It was like, I resent you for making me change, for making me show up in this way. And yeah. um, I didn't really know who to turn to. I hadn't even found your work. Maybe you would have been somebody that would have been able to help me through that. But I ended up taking it into my own hands. And it rips you open when you actually are able to do that. But it's it's sort of like realizing you're lost in the woods. You have to like recognize it before you can get out. And I, yeah. I had to just yeah. kind of show up in that way. Um, and I think yeah. a lot of young men are actually, you know, they've got their abs dialed in, they got the shoulders, they, they've got it all. And now there's this baby here, your sex life yeah. changes, your yeah. sleep schedule changes, everything changes. It becomes like the world flips upside down and it's very, it can feel very overwhelming to young men out there. Um, you thought you had it all figured out and then you had a kid and anybody out there who has been a father, like you get brownie points in my, in my, in my sort of tallying system, if that exists, because you've had to go through this thing that nobody can give you a guide, a guidebook for. There's no manual for how to show up in that new relationship. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'll also say just to, just to cover this, he needs space with no demand too. Right. Right. right, she has a masculine too. Right, her masculine, meaning the part of her that doesn't need to be in experience all the time, yeah, needs to be attended to as well. Yeah. But you know, the more masculine a human being is, the more that space of no demand is precious. 
it's precious, which is why I talk about this in the book. Like get out in nature, get out in nature with other men, <laughs> take time where you have no demand, where there's no nothing pulling on you and let yourself reset there. And then the natural experience will be love. Like love will just start to, you know, emerge because, but it can't if you, if you don't have that space of no demand to replenish your dopamine, it's, it's a really, I think, important point in relationship. Mm. And it's one that I, I coach men on all the time, how to artfully negotiate that space because so many guys want to show up and be everything, you know, be everything for their partners. And in doing so, they just deplete themselves so that they're really showing up heartedly yeah. and, and their feminine partners feel it. You're like, you, you are actually speaking right to, right to my, my heart, my soul. Like it, it, it's yeah. like, a, not just yes. you brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of men have yeah. that experience. Yeah. Well, John, I feel, I want to be respectful of your time. That was way longer of an interview. I mean, we went in so many different directions there. I hope it was fun for you. Um, in, in yeah, regard. it's always. Um, when I'm in Austin, I'll hit you up and we'll grab some coffee. But uh, in the meantime, how can people find your work? Uh, we've already, you know, directed them to Claire's um, Claire's place. Yeah, thank you for that. That's yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Claire's place is a foundation. Just to give a little plug, it, where 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 all the money that we collect, I can't say all of it because we do have some operational costs, but most of the money goes straight to families and kids with CF. Mm. So kids that are in the hospital for three weeks, the single. There's a lot of kids with single, you know, single parents you know, that, that have a hard time paying mortgages is that we, we funnel a ton of money into supporting the CF community. So your donations would be beautifully uh, welcome. Um, to find me, you can go to my website, johnwineland.com. There's a, I have what's called, um, it's, we're rebranding and it's called the, the embodied relationship experience right now. It's called the virtual workshop and it's thousands of hours of content and hundreds of practices. So breath practices, couples practices, solo embodiment practices. And it's become just this really beautiful repository and community of practice, 500 people around the world. And, uh, and we, you know, I, I, I do a coaching call every month with them. That's a really great way to just for busy people to just get an entry level into the work that I do. Um, hmm. and of course I have, I have a teacher's training, teacher training program, which starts in July. That's you know, very intense and very onerous for those that are interested. Thousand plus hours, right? It's a, a pretty intense. thousand plus hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's a, it, yeah, because I basically want to. You know, I mean, how long did you have to go to school? <laughs> you know, right? So, so who teach, knows how many hours? Body lost count. <laughs> yeah, sex. Yeah, and sexual polarity at least a thousand hours to get you started. Yeah. Um, wow. So yeah, that's I have a teacher training program that I'm very proud of in a really beautiful community there as well. And uh, yeah, and they can just always come to my website and check out what's going on. Workshops a couple times a year for couples and programs for men. I suspect my wife and I are going to be engaging in, oh, a, in a workshop. I would love in that. The future. It'd be I awesome. would love that. Yeah, yeah, awesome. that would be so great, Nathan. Yeah. Thank you so much, John. Um, JohnWineland.com, from the core. Thanks for spending some time with me today. I think a lot of yeah. people are going to benefit from this. So thank you so much. Yeah, I hope so, man. Thanks for having me. Recording stop. tuning in go and buy john's book sign up for his courses um this man is just incredible 
And what a gift to be able to sit with him because I really, I took so much from his book. I remember I was reading it on the way to Burning Man and every single campsite, I just like was devouring chapter after chapter. It's very easy to read. It's very easy to implement some of these basic practices. And if you need extra help, you can find John uh, on his website in order to sign up for any of his seminars, workshops, his his immersive, immersive experiences. My wife and I are considering this for 2024. So look out, John, we're coming for you. Thanks again to our sponsors, Rosemary Marin of Soul Connections, Bioptimizers, Organifi, and BirthFit. All of their information in order to get discounts on some of the best products and services on the planet. You can look in the podcast description. There's also show notes. Remember show notes, guys, belovedholistics.com slash podcast. You'll find everything and more about this episode, um, especially if you're, you're looking for insights into the high quality brands that I've partnered with to make this podcast possible. Also, the YouTube channel, go subscribe there. Go watch me and John Riff. His backdrop is beautiful, by the way. Beautiful fireplace and made me very, very jealous. Although he doesn't have a flaming neon uh, uterus with a fallopian tube flipping people off either. So if you want to see either of those things, YouTube's the the, the, the way to go there. I also, um, you know, ask if you haven't left a review, leave a five-star review. It really means a lot to the algorithm to get these conversations into the ear holes of more people. Share with your friends. Um... Just uh, just very, very happy to be continue doing this. If you want to find me, Nathan Riley, MD, you can find me at BelovedHolistics.com. And of course, our Born Free Method, which you heard about uh, towards the midpoint of the episode, go to BornFreeMethod.com and you can scope that out. We are enrolling for, uh, well, it's an, it's an ongoing enrollment process, but we've got a little push here because we had so many people interested that we had to, you know, kind of bump people to future interview dates to get them into the course. But we're here for you. Go to bornfreemethod.com. Sarah and I will be there and waiting with open arms. Welcome to the family. I'm Nathan Riley. This is my podcast. It's not yours. <laughs> Trying a little was that Chevy Chase from SNL. Hi, I'm Chevy Chase and you're not. Um, I love you all. Thank you for listening and supporting this show. I will see you next week for another incredible conversation.